It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you. As promised, I'm joined today by Bruce Nolan of the Bruce Exclusive Podcast, part of the Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed. One of the staples of my Thursdays and Fridays is making sure that I get a chance to listen to the Bruce Exclusive Podcast. Bruce, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. I'm glad, man. It's uh, it, The regular season starts next week, and so it just becomes really busy. And so I'm glad we got a chance here before everything gets wild to, uh, to connect on this podcast, and it's all about the listeners. And they have sent in their hottest takes regarding the 2020 Buffalo Bills, with the caveat being it's not just a hot take, that in their heart they believe these takes. So, Bruce... We are going to say we are all the way in on what they're presenting, or we're going to squash some dreams today. You ready for this? I am. I was born ready, Joe. I was born ready to squash takes. I mean, I think that's really what I was set up to do. I was put here on this earth to disappoint people, so I'm ready. Well, who knows? There could be some good stuff in here. There, I'll be honest with you. I've read through these all. They're really well thought out. I'm not going to agree with all of them, but I can see a lot of these angles. Let's start with Doug here. Doug says, hot take. Stefan Diggs will go for over 1,300 yards in 2020 rather than giving Allen any credit. The national media pundits will praise Diggs as succeeding in spite of Josh Allen's erratic passes because Diggs is so talented. This is a two-parter because on the first part, you have to say, okay, will Stefan Diggs go for 1,300 yards? And the second part is if he does go for 1,300 yards, Will this be the response? So there's actually, a, it, it's two things to react to here. 1,300 yards is, you know, 81 yards a game, which I don't think is crazy, but I don't necessarily know if it's, it's going to happen. I think there's a reasonable chance that Stefan Diggs gets over 1,000 yards because he'll be the number one target. However, when you start to look at Stefan Diggs last year and the yards per catch, which I think is just a... a crazy unsustainable number for Stefan Diggs. I think that I'm much more comfortable the 1,100-yard mark for Stefan Diggs than the 1,300-yard mark. Because in a lot of cases, in a lot of cases, 1,300 yards is one of the top receivers in the league, period. For a lot of times, that's the case. And do the Bills have a passing offense that, number one, can sustain it from a volume standpoint? And number two, that can feed it enough targets to assuming you're not going to get that 17 plus yards per catch. Is it going to go there? I am probably going to be out on 1300. I will say the second part of this with the national media pundits praise Diggs succeeding in spite of Josh Allen's erratic passes. I think you're always going to get that section. I think that the battle lines have been drawn on Josh Allen when it comes to the national media. The people who were giving him credit before are the same people who would give him credit after. And the people who were hating on him before are the same people who are going to hate him after. I don't think a lot of minds at this point in Josh Allen's career are going to be changed. That's a shame because we should be open to more information. But I think the battle lines have pretty much been drawn on Josh Allen. If Stefan Diggs gets 1,300 receiving yards this year, that same 1,300 yards would have led the AFC last year. The highest receiving total in the AFC in 2019 was Travis Kelsey, tight end for the Colts, 1,200 29 yards, and then Devontae Parker was second. He was actually the leading wide receiver at 1,202 yards. So this would be a – I mean, he would finish in the top five of receiving in the NFL. I, I certainly think he has the talent to do it. I do think the volume component and the efficiency of Josh Allen and so many mouths to feed in this offense does get in the way. And, yes, the, the national media doesn't want to give Josh Allen any credit. And so uh, I don't think – the I think they will find reasons to not give him credit before – 
saying that, you know, Stefan Diggs was a be- you know, benefited from playing with Josh Allen. Scarecrow Boat says, uh, and actually this one's very similar to one that was sent in by Michael. He said, Zach Moss will end up with more touches than Devin Singletary. My reasoning is Sean McDermott won't accept fumbling troubles and Moss is a better fit to wear defenses down. I want to go first on this one because this has been a hot topic. Devin Singletary and his fumbles, uh, some fumbles already so far in camp. He fumbled four times and 180 touches last year, which was the highest fumble rate in the NFL uh, based on the guys that touched the football enough for it to count. Where I get some comfort in this fumbling stuff with Devin Singletary is I go back to college. The guy touched the football a lot. He had 717 rushing attempts, fumbled five times, which is a significantly better clip than what he's done so far in the NFL. And I get that it's the NFL. It's different. And he probably has to make some adjustment. But for the most part, it really wasn't an issue of his in college. Now, with that said, if this problem doesn't go away, then, yeah, I do think that Sean McDermott is going to be hesitant to – giving Moss the football. And we saw that in some of these past few preseasons where guys that needed touches, guys like TJ Yeldon, Sonoris Perry, as soon as they put the ball on the dirt, they got yanked. And so that is the ultimate wild card in this discussion. I'm going to cling to some optimism that Devin Singletary won't have the fumbling problem that we fear and that he ends up with more touches than Zach Moss. However, I think it'd be pretty close. I actually really like this take. I think that there's a reasonable possibility that the Zach Moss, Devin Singletary thing is a lot closer to 50-50 than people think. I think that the Devin Singletary that we saw last year was the Devin Singletary we saw last year, but intended to be part of a timeshare. Sean McDermott made it very clear after the Texans game that he does not believe in a bell cow back. And if you look back to the Carolina Panthers team that had Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams, there was frequently games where Jonathan Stewart, the more downhill runner of the two, got more carries, even though you would think downhill is kind of more of a specialized trait. That's not necessarily always the case. And I really feel like there's going to be a specific amount of times when you know, Zach Moss is going to get more carries for that game based on game plan, based on personnel groupings, based on whether or not they want to run out of 21 a little bit more, based on things like that. And I don't know how you would really go about defining main or lead back when it varies game to game, but based on Brian Dable and his plans to like to shift things up game to game, and based on Sean McDermott saying that, I don't know if there's going to be a specific time where you're going to be able to look at this team and go, yes, that guy is the main Mm -hmm. bell cow of this team. I think it's going to be game to game. And at the end of the year, you just kind of see how it kind of fleshed out. And if you have multiple years, you could have one year where Singletary has more touches and one year where Moss has more touches. And that's possible. And so I don't know if you're really going to be able to put your thumb on it and say, yes, this is the lead bell cow guy. But I do think there's going to be plenty of games where Zach Moss outtouches Devin Singletary. Yep, I, I with you. I think we're seeing this backfield situation very similarly. Michael has one here. He says, Zach Moss will be the main starting running back by October. And here's the spicy part of it. He'll finish with around 1,300 yards from scrimmage. Bruce, 1,300 yards from scrimmage would put him right at about 16th in the NFL last year. It would be a season very similar to Miles Sanders, uh, rookie running back for the Philadelphia Eagles last year, who had 1,327 yards from scrimmage, 818 rushing, and 509 receiving. I think he's capable of doing that, but again, does the split backfield with Singletary really get in the way from that being a possibility? I will say I can see where you're going with this, but I'll lean towards it not happening. Yeah, I think 13 might be a little high. I'm just thinking to myself, okay, if you split carries 50-50 and if you ostensibly split catches 50-50, you might not. Moss might catch more passes than Singletary. He has shown a little bit of a higher propensity for that in college than Singletary did because Singletary wasn't asked to do that at all. But let's assume that you have that. That's 2,600 yards between two backs from scrimmage. and that, That's a lot. That's a lot. And so I don't think the volume is going to be there. I think that Zach Moss having a Miles Sanders type year would be based on the idea that Zach Moss has Miles Sanders-like situation. And I don't think he does. So 13 might be a little high. I would not be shocked at all if Zach Moss ended up with a higher 
amount of yards from scrimmage than Devin Singletary this year. That would not shock me in the slightest. 13 might be just a little high for me. Yeah, I love I love the specificity of that take, though. This next one is from Yogi Bear. Let me tell you about Yogi Bear. This guy's from the Bahamas. So he sends me the, the, this, this uh, DM to send me the take, and he's like, you know, telling me that he's from the Bahamas. I'm like, how are you a Bills fan? How, how does that happen? If you never lived in Western New York, how do you live in the Bahamas and be a Buffalo Bills fan? He had a great answer. He said, uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s, the only two teams ever on TV were the Dallas Cowboys and the Miami Dolphins. And he said, quote, so not wanting to follow the crowd, I enjoyed watching Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and Bruce Smith continually beat the Dolphins. And my guy is a Bills fan to this day. I love it. His take, though, Zach Moss will be better than, uh, well, he said Zach Moss will be the better running back this year. I don't think that's, I don't think it's an overly hot take at all. I can absolutely see that happening. Devin Singletary was a, a third round pick in a running back class that was a little odd last year. This running back class was very, very good this year. So there is a very reasonable argument to be made that a third round pick on a running back this year is not the same as a third round pick on a running back last year. And I think that there's a reasonable chance that Zach Moss is the better running back this year. I think that he can do more things as evidenced in college, but he, it's, not like, it's not like it's a thunder and lightning scenario. It's not like Devin Singletary is a specific running back with a particular set of skills that you know, Zach Moss doesn't have. Yes, I made the reference right there. Yeah. But I was thinking it, about that soundbite, you know, <laughs> from taking. That's not, yeah. yeah, that's. I mean, that's not the case. I mean, Liam Neeson is not Devin Singletary, right? That's not how it is. And Devin Singletary is a, a well-rounded, complementary running back who has vision and contact balance. Zach Moss is the same kind of guy. Vision and contact balance. Neither one of them has blazing speed. But if you look at the skill sets, Zach Moss has only one thing that Devin Singletary doesn't have, and that's a consistently evidenced ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, which Devin Singletary, you know, was markedly missing that check mark going into his rookie season. In fact, the Bills had to send a running back coach down there to see if he could do it. You know, the, the film will tell you that Zach Moss can do it. So this idea that Zach Moss would end up being the better running back, I don't think it's hot at all. I think that this is absolutely a very reasonable possibility. A lot of buzz there. Uh, now it's time for like the Josh Allen part of this show. I kind of coupled all those takes together. By the way, everyone, my guest today, Bruce Nolan from the Bruce Exclusive Podcast, every Thursday and Friday on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast feed. Don't miss it. All right, let's talk Josh Allen. And this one comes from Josh. I don't think it's Josh Allen, but <laughs> it's sent in by Josh. He said, Josh Allen guaranteed will have his first 300-yard passing game in week two against the Dolphins by throwing for 345 yards and three touchdowns. He's had the most success in his young career against Miami, so why not them? Thanks to you and Bruce for always bringing great Bills content. I think Josh Allen's more likely to get it against the Jets in week one than against Miami in week two. That's, that's my opinion. Uh, Miami's corners are um, well-suited to match up with the Bills' new trio of wide receivers. The Jets, on the other hand, have had loss after loss on the defensive side of the, of the ball and haven't done an overly good job of replacing them. Uh, I don't think there's anybody on the backside there that really, really, really concerns me. Marcus May is a good player, but even he's banged up at this point. So I think there's a very reasonable chance that Josh Allen playing against Greg Williams, because you know Greg Williams is not going to let off easy week one. He's not going to go, you know... My, my corners are really struggling. You know, I have some injuries, and then C.J. Mosley's out, and we traded Jamal Adams. I think I'm just going to back off a little bit week one. That's not who he is. And if you have wide receivers that the Bills do who are capable of separating the short area and helping him beat the blitz, you could potentially beat the Jets for some big plays. And that's one of the ways you get a 300-yard passing game. You don't get a 300-yard passing game by throwing the ball for exactly 10 yards 30 times. You know, you, you get those big plays, those 30, 40, 50-yard plays that help open that stuff up. And I think the Jets offense, sorry, the Jets defense actually provides the Bills with more opportunity to do that than the Dolphins. So I'm going to say out on the take, but not because I don't think Josh Allen will have a 300-yard game. I just think it's more likely to happen against the Jets than the Dolphins. 
Yeah, and you, you add the layer of Brian Flores being really good at scheming up defense, and he's got some personnel to work with this year. Uh, so I, I am with you all the way that the more likely 300-yard passing game comes against the New York Jets. Christopher says Josh Allen will throw for 400 yards in at least one game of the first three weeks. So that is home against the Jets at Miami and then host uh, home against the, uh, the L.A. Rams. I don't think so. I think the guy hasn't passed for 300 yards. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pump the brakes before I predict a 400-yard passing game. Bruce, are, are you in on this idea? I would, I would be thrilled to see this week one just open up a can on the Jets and just put 400 on them. That would be wonderful. But, uh, yeah, I'm out on this take too. I, I just think I want to see the next thing, which is let's just get to 300, and then we'll start talking about the 400 after that. Nervous about reading this next one uh, correctly, so I'll go slow. This comes from Buffalo Ceilings. He said, I honestly believe that if good Josh shows up for the full season and has added the deep ball, this is a Super Bowl team. They don't need him to be great, Josh. YOLO, Josh. Jimmy Superfly Snooka, Josh. Good, Josh. Thanks for all you do, boys. You rock. So th- those are a lot of your labels for Josh, Josh yes. Allen, right? So. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Buffalo is, is, is a YOLO Josh, Dr. Josh, Mega Josh, Superfly Josh, all of these Josh. And good Josh. So if we're, if we're defining good Josh as the Tennessee Titans Josh, an efficient Josh, albeit some would complain somewhat neutered Josh, if that's good Josh, then I, I think that's a little bit probably not good enough for this team to be able to be a Super Bowl team. I think if you get Dallas Cowboy Josh, which I would argue is good Josh, I, I've consistently made the argument that despite his statistical success against the Dolphins, I think the Cowboys game is the best game of Josh Allen's career. I think that the ability to show what he was capable of doing at the line of scrimmage, making some adjustments, some of the throws he made in that game really show off the benefit that arm strength comes along with, aside from just throwing the ball deep. Everyone thinks, you know, got a strong arm, I'm just going to bomb the ball deep. And that's not really necessarily the benefit of having a strong arm. It's those intermediate throws, driving the ball against the hash marks, you know, fitting it in windows against the zone. And I think he showed all that stuff. If that is good Josh, then yes. I think that good Josh is capable of being the quarterback of a Super Bowl team. It depends on how you define good Josh. If you, def- if you define good Josh as the Titans Josh, I would say no. If you define good Josh as Cowboys Josh, then yes. See, I still think you need defense in that scenario because you're talking about knocking off the Ravens and Chiefs to get to the Super Bowl in the AFC. So, yeah, I mean, you need good Josh plus good defense. You need gr- If the defense is going to give up 27, 30 points to Baltimore and Kansas City, then you're going you're gonna to need great Josh. You're going to need big plays from, from him to, to answer. So I think good Josh or Dallas Cowboys Josh gets you to a lot of wins. But when it comes down to like knocking off great teams and winning championships, I think you, need, you either need great Josh and good defense or good Josh and like great defense. That makes sense. Need to tell you about my friends over at Built Bar. These folks have produced the best tasting protein bar that I've ever had. I've talked about them in the past, and they're back with an even better product line. 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew with the texture and consistency of a candy bar. They're great for anyone who is health conscious, whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, or just indulge in something delicious. These are the protein bars for you. They're low in calories, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for anyone on the keto diet. We've got a deal for you. If you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 10 bucks off your next order. Uh, that was a promo code that we had in the past for your first, first order, but if you want to use it again, it's reactivated for your next order. 10 bucks off. Try this new product line, and for a limited time, while supplies last, every purchase gets a free cooler. So check it out. BuiltBar.com, a locked on code will get you 10 bucks off your next order. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Rob says the Bills will lead the league in touchdown drives of three plays or less in 2020. Yeah, you know, um, I can see why this might be a thought with the new Josh Allen trajectory and the deep ball weapon that Stephon Diggs is. As long as there is Lamar Jackson and the explosiveness that he has and Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and the explosiveness that that offense has, the explosiveness you consistently get from the Saints and all the speed they added to the Eagles, I, I can't get on board with it because... I mean, that, you would go from Josh Allen being a bad deep ball passer to yep. Josh Allen being the best deep ball passer. I would just settle for Josh Allen being an okay deep ball passer this year. And I think that's the reasonable step. I think that in order for us to go to lead the league in touchdown drives of three plays or less, the vast majority of those things are passing because you're not going to get that from Devin Singletary. You're not going to get it from Zach Moss. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to get it from 4.6 running backs. That's not where you're going to get it. So what you're saying by this is you're going to get it in the pass game. And to do that, Josh Allen would have to go from being one of the worst deep ball passers in the league to the best deep ball passer in the league. And he has to do it with no assistance probably from the running back room. So I'm out on the take. Well, you know, Rob could have also been thinking about some great returns from Andre Roberts, setting up some short fields or some turnovers, maybe those types of things. But if our thought process is this is just from Josh Allen launching bombs and connecting to him, I don't think that he goes from you know bottom tier to the caliber of consistency throwing the ball deep in one offseason that's going to make the Bills you know, a top three team in terms of scoring drives that are three plays or less. So I, I am out on this, but... If there's a formula that's not predicated on Josh's consistency hitting the deep ball, then I can get behind it. Chad says Josh Allen will be a top three MVP candidate this year, leading the Bills to a 12-4 and record, a year more matured, better wideout group, knocks in a backfield a year better, and a stable line. Whew. 12 and 4. I mean, I thought I was really excited about 10 and 6. I didn't know what that felt like. You want to talk about 12 wins? <laughs> that would be a whole lot of fun. Um, it's aggressive. This is very aggressive. If Josh Allen has the type of year that leads to a 12 and 4 record, I have to think that he did a whole lot of things well and it puts him in the MVP discussion. Uh, I just don't know that I'm well I'm willing to predict this, you know, right now before the season. Yeah, it's very similar to my argument before about the Bills leading the league in touchdown drives of three plays or less. And that's, you know, Josh Allen would have to go from being, you know, what I would consider to be a below average passer to being a very good passer. Or he'd have to be so dynamic and so efficient passing the ball that you can really make up for the lack of volume stats. You know, Lamar Jackson was bottom 10 in the league in passing yards per game. But he was so incredibly efficient. He threw 39 touchdowns, I think. So you can get there if you're crazy, crazy, crazy efficient. And efficiency has never really been Josh Allen's game. So getting there from where he was at as a passer this past year all at once in one year is too big of a jump too fast for me. But I think that in addition to that, something else we have to consider is that Josh Allen might not get as many rushing touchdowns this year. Because Zach Moss might steal them. Zach Moss could very well vulture some Josh Allen rushing touchdowns. I know Josh Allen is an absolute weapon in the red zone, and that's great. But Frank Gore was not really much of a weapon in the red zone last year. And even he was able to vulture just a couple from Josh Allen. If you have a more effective red zone running back, a more effective goal line running back, you might not ask Josh Allen to do it as frequently as you did before. And so there could be an opportunity cost there where Josh Allen could get less rushing touchdowns than he did the previous year. So I think there are a lot of things would have to go in a direction that seems improbable for it to happen. I'm all on board for it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm probably out on the take. Bruce, there's a lot of hype about Zach Moss coming out of training camp, but there's also a lot of hype coming out of camp regarding fourth-round wide receiver Gabriel Davis. Dawson has a take about Davis who says, Gabriel Davis emerges as the Bills' number two receiver this year. 
with John Brown being on his last year and another great draft by McBean, the Bills ultimately decide to release smoke, giving the Bills an additional $8 million in cap space. Naturally, John Brown signs with the Jets in 2021 as a free agent. So Gabe Davis emerging as the number two this year. After the season, John Brown is released, frees up $8 million in cap space, and then he signs with the Jets. There's a lot to take in all at once. I appreciate how well-layered that take is because it's Gabriel Davis emerging as number two, and then it has a contractual element of it, and then it has a epilogue, which is John Brown signs with the Jets. So I really like that, uh, the, the well-thought-out, layered take from Dawson there. I'm probably out on this. I think Gabriel Davis came in as kind of a wide receiver four, sort of an option for the Bills. The Bills love John Brown. They love John Brown. Josh Allen loves John Brown. He's talked about his professionalism, the way he came in day one and ran routes. The chemistry has continued to show itself this offseason in training camp. And John Brown, I think, is going to be around here for the extent of his contract. I think that there's a reasonable chance that Gabriel Davis will be available as an option to take care of John Brown's spot when John Brown's contract is up in the event that the Bills don't elected to resign him due to salary cap crunches brought on from an extension of Tremaine Edmonds, an extension of Trey Davis White, and a potential extension for Josh Allen. If that's one of the sacrifices that they have to make, so be it. I just don't think that sacrifice comes soon. I don't have anything to add there. I'm with you. I see that exactly the same as you do. Patrick has a really fun one. He says, last year, the Bills used four wide receivers or 10 personnel, 0%, four total plays of the time. The league average was 3%. The Bills ran 70% of their plays out of 11 personnel, three wide receivers. With our running back tandem's lack of outside speed, my take is that the Bills will run 8 to 10% of their plays out of the spread four wide, 10 personnel to stretch out the defense, prevent them from stacking the box, and opening up the middle of the field for runs for Allen, Singletary, and Moss. What do you think? You know it's one of those scenarios with personnel groupings where I talked about it a little bit when I was talking about fullbacks on my last Friday's pod and the bills have kind of found their, they kind of found their personnel grouping at the end of last year. And with this particular take, you have to line up Dawson Knox with the fourth wide receiver and say, okay, what does that give you? Because what you're doing here, when you run 10 personnel, you're trading Dawson Knox for your fourth wide receiver, which ostensibly for this take might be Gabe Davis. So if that's the case, then, then so be it. But I think that what you gain in potential space there, you lose in Dawson Knox blocking. If Dawson Knox was a tight end who couldn't block and you had to get him off the field and utilize space to open those lanes that you weren't able to get because Dawson Knox was a below average blocker, I think I'd be more inclined to say, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's make up for the fact that Dawson Knox can't block by taking him off the field and kind of using space to make up for the lack of ability to create it in the run game. But I don't know if I want Dawson Knox off the field for run plays because if he's on the field, you're not really tipping your hand at all. He's an, he's an athletic guy. He can stretch the seam for you. But in addition, he's a monster in the run game. He's always given great effort from that. I think technique needed a little bit of work coming out of Ole Miss, but he's shown great strength and great willingness, which is most of the battle when it comes to blocking in the NFL for skill position players. So I think that, I think that there's a very reasonable chance that the Bills run very, very, very little 10 personnel this year. Just because I think that 11 is going to be, I mean, 11's already the most common personnel grouping in the NFL. And I think that it makes even more sense for the Bills than it does for other teams. So I would anticipate even maybe an uptick in 11 personnel this particular year from last year. Well, and the Bills aren't afraid to go empty. We know that. It's just a matter of putting four specific wide receivers on the field. That's that's kind of something we haven't seen them do. Uh, there might be some games in some teams that don't necessarily have the players and sub uh, to match up or you may want to do that. But to, to see this settle at 8 to 10% would seem high to me, although there could be some games where I, I could see that being uh, the case. Uh, Jay's got a, a trio of takes here for us. He says, Josh Allen's offseason work with Jordan Palmer and third year in the system will pay dividends and he will throw for a minimum of 30 touchdown passes and still score a minimum of five 
rushing touchdowns. Let's uh, let's deal with that one first. I don't. I it's this is aggressive. It's not totally crazy. Again, everything has to go right. I think for for this to happen. It's not insane. I mean, Josh Allen had 29 touchdowns last year. Saying 35 this year is not a crazy amount different. I mean, that's six extra touchdowns over the course of 16 games with yep. an addition of Stephon Diggs and another year in Greg, in, in, sorry, in the offense that, that we have. So I really feel like I almost said Greg Roman's offense there for a second. <laughs> Ryan Dable's offense. So I don't think it's crazy aggressive. It's on the cusp of being overly aggressive. Throwing 30 touchdowns is a big deal for somebody who was a below average passer last year by almost any holistic metric. So I do think that that might be a little aggressive. I do like the fact that you said minimum of five rushing touchdowns because a lot of people might think, well, he scored nine last year. Why would the minimum be five? But as I mentioned earlier, there's a chance he gets vultured a little bit this year from Zach Moss being there on the goal line. So I actually think five is more likely than nine. So I like the fact that they balanced out this take with an uptick in passing touchdowns, but a slight decrease in rushing touchdowns. It might be a smidge aggressive for me, but I don't think this is crazy at all. His next one is AJ Epinesa will surprise, uh, will be a surprise rookie and win defensive rookie of the year. Let me tell you what, I'm all the way out on this one. Uh, Sean McDermott's comments today about Trent Murphy have me really buying into thinking that Trent Murphy is going to be on this team. And if he's on this team, you know, Epinesa goes from 30% of the snaps potentially without Murphy to 15 to 20%, maybe with Murphy in the mix. I don't know that he's going to have the volume of snaps to, to challenge for this. Yeah, I think it's going to be a volume issue. One of the things that Chris Brown mentioned on One Bills Live that he may or may not have gotten in trouble for was that Jerry Hughes and Trent Murphy were running with the first team. And so I don't think after listening to that and then listening to Sean McDermott's comments on Trent Murphy today, I don't think that there's not only, I don't think there's a likelihood that Trent Murphy gets cut. I think there's a possibility he starts. And I think I had just assumed Mario Addison was going to start yeah. opposite Jerry Hughes. So I have completely um, thought that AJ Epinesa is not going to have the volume to be able to make enough plays to win defensive rookie of the year. So I'm, I'm, I'm out on it as well. Bill's chiefs for the AFC championship for a berth in the Super Bowl. Oh man, that'd be so good. It'd be even better if the Bills had home field for that game. That would be something impressive. Assuming we're allowed to have fans for that, that would be absolutely crazy, absolutely insane. I don't think it's crazy. I mean, look look at the AFC. You know, Bills, Ravens, Titans, Chiefs. I mean, these are some playoff teams from last year who we think either got better or stayed at least the same. I don't think it's insane to say any two of those four teams I just mentioned will be in the AFC Championship game. I don't think it's insane at all. Right. So I don't think this is an overly hot take. I think that there's some ground to be made up before I believe that the Bills can beat the Ravens. But the Bills versus Chiefs, I mean, are there four or five, six, eight teams better than the Bills in the AFC? I don't think there's that many. So I don't think this is a crazy hot take. I will say this. I think this is a more likely take to be true than Epinesa winning defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, so. I agree with that. Brad says, it seems most are predicting the Bills' defense to duplicate the success they had last year. I think the defense will take a step back to around the middle of the pack due to their inability to stop the run. The NFC and AFC West conferences have teams with form formidable run games, and I do not think the upgrades the Bills made on the defensive line are geared to stopping the run. I think that not having Jordan Phillips is going to affect the run defense a lot more than people think. I think that Jordan Phillips... I don't want to go as, maybe I go as far as to say he was a liability against the run. Maybe I do that. But having Ed Oliver take 70% of the snaps this year and having Harrison Phillips and Vernon Butler fill in that one tech spot, I think is going to help the run defense a lot more than you think. I think another year for Tremaine Edmonds is going to help the run defense. I would be shocked if the run defense had games where we got whooped as badly as we did the Philadelphia game of last year. I think the the subtraction of Jordan Phillips, the increase in Ed Oliver, who was very good against the run last year, the increase in his snap count, and the 
addition of Vernon Butler, having Harrison Phillips come back, he was playing very good against the run before he went, got injured. I think that all of these things in combination with each other, you add in the fact that the people that they added on the ends, AJ Epinesa, Mario Addison, these are compression rushers and they don't have a tendency to open up big holes underneath them for draw plays and for delays and for running backs to squeak through. I actually think the run defense might be better this year by a reasonable margin. I'm with you. I think that the Bills' run defense will be better. I think the rotation's better. Edmonds and Milano with more experience under their belt. I, I, I have a lot of reason to believe that the Bills' defense uh, stopping the run will be better. I'll give you the option, uh, Bruce. Do you want to address this second hot take from Brad? You know what? Let's, um, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. I have no comments on this, so I'll read the take. Uh, He says, Bruce's real identity, I had no idea this wasn't your real identity, will be exposed (laughs) by by the end of the football season, and his wife will be the one to post his picture on one of the social media platforms. I had to fire my wife from the social media coordinator of the Bruce exclusive uh, for my Instagram because <laughs> she couldn't think of anything to post. She was like, I don't know. I said, well, let's just post pictures of the dogs and food. It'll be great. Um, but since then she hasn't, she hasn't, I've done all the posting myself. Uh, I joke around. She, she, uh, she takes a lot of the pictures for the food. I don't think, I don't think she's going to be the one who exposes me because she's so incredibly careful about making sure there's no identifiable markers in the background, like if there's a picture of the dog, the name of the dog, and all that stuff is always blacked out and things like that. So I really feel strongly that I'm going to be able to keep this show rolling for a little bit longer. Um, maybe when I get to 10,000 followers on Twitter or something, I'll do something. It'll be a, an elbow reveal or something. <laughs> really? So that's the first you've ever like even nudged to the possibility of, of ex- exposing your identity. Well, you know, you got to give the people what they want uh, limited, to a limited extent. Whew. Okay, I guess I'm very surprised by your response there. All right, Roy says Tyler Bass attempts at least one 60-yard field goal. Absolutely. Absolutely, I'm in on this take. I'm 100% in on this take. Roy, 100% in on this take. I feel like Sean McDermott lives for 60-yard field goals. Yeah. When Brandon Bean was talking um, on the Barstool podcast over the – over the, over the offseason before the draft, and he talked about, would you rather have somebody who's automatic from inside 40 or you want somebody who has the big leg? He says, I want somebody with the big leg. And I think that based on the amount of 50-plus yarders that Hauschka attempted back when his leg was still good and he wasn't hurt, if you, if you remember that year, there was a lot of years where Hauschka was constantly bailing us out with 50-plus yard field goals. Yep. I don't think that Sean McDermott is opposed to that at all. I think if he gets in fourth and short in that weird range, he's probably going to go for it. But I think if it's fourth and five, fourth and six, and it's a 54-yard field goal or 56-yard field goal, he'll just take it because he believes in his defense so much that he'd rather just take the points or the possibility of points. I am all the way in on this take. I would, I would be shocked if Tyler Bass does not attempt at least one 60-yard field goal. Yeah, I'm all the way in on this as well. And I don't know that – I hope that it's not like – over going for it on fourth and short, but end of half situation where it's a better chance of scoring points than, you know, a heave. Give, give me, give me this happening for sure. Uh, Mark says Brandon Bean trades one offensive lineman for a late 2021 draft pick. I want to start on this one because I, we've seen Bean do this very successfully last year with uh, Wyatt Teller and uh, Russell Bodine. He's traded other players at about this point for draft picks in years past. I think the NFL has such an offensive line depth problem that I think Bean's holding on to his guys this year with all the you know the dynamics of this season. So I will say the trend is stopped this year and Bean holds on to all of his offensive linemen and doesn't trade them. I think that if ever there was a year for him to break the habit, this is the year. The same way that when I, when I initially talked about 53-man roster projections, and Brandon Bean potentially dealing with a $175 million cap in 2021, we were talking about potential ways to generate some cap space, whether that was Ty Insecki or Trent Murphy. Based on the comments that I'm getting from the coaching staff and based on the comments I'm getting from Brandon Bean, they might look at this like, listen, cap space is great and everything, but we're going all in this year. This is the year. 
And you can make an argument they've been building for 2020 and that this is not the year to be trading away assets when you could get multiple linemen struck down in a week from a particularly bad rash of COVID. And this is not a year where you want to be shorthanded for the purposes of long-term assets, whether that is cap space or whether that is draft picks. So I'm starting to come around with the idea that they're going to hold on to as much assets as humanly possible this year because they're all in for 2020. The trade for Stefan Diggs indicates that that's probably the case. The fact that they're probably going to hang on to Trent Murphy indicates that's probably the case. When they could they could cut him, free up $8 million, roll it over, Matt Milano's contract, Trey White's contract, they got things coming down the road, but they'd rather have that one year. Tells me they're all in for 2020. And if you're all in for 2020, then you're less likely to do this. So I agree. I think that there is a there is a reasonable possibility that Brandon Bean breaks the streak. He breaks the habit this year and he hangs on everybody. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is a spicy take from Michael. He said the Bills will beat the Jets, Dolphins, Patriots, and Chiefs twice this season. That is spicy. Let me tell you one thing. This is fun. some fun context here. We did our uh, TDN scouting meetings this past summer, and, and part of that was we predicted the entire season. And as, as far as that process went, we pr- predicted every single game for every team. And uh, we had five people, and we voted on every single game. I was the vote that did not give the Bills a win over the Chiefs during the regular season. Because they, they said, look, the Chiefs are going to lose a few games this year. It's going to happen on the road in Buffalo on Thursday night against a Sean McDermott defense that doesn't give up big plays. They said this is the, they thought that could be a loss on the Chiefs schedule. I said, no way. I said, I'm not going to be the guy that when this comes out was responsible for the Bills beating the Chiefs. You know, I just, I couldn't get myself to do that. But I will say that our guys, they're in on that. So, or, uh, Bruce, do they beat all those teams twice this year? I can't do it. I just can't get there. I cannot get for sweeping the division and the Super Bowl champs. I mean, think about that. Sweeping the division is uncommon, even for the Patriots. The Patriots have historically kind of ran into some roadblocks when it came to the Dolphins yeah. over the course of their 20-year tenure, and especially in Miami. And you're sweeping the division and sweeping the Super Bowl champs, whew, Man, it's just, it's just too much. It's too aggressive for me. The Chiefs are a really good team. I can absolutely see the Bills beating them once. Obviously, I would prefer that to be in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I can't get on board with sweeping the entire division. The Patriots, as long as they have Bill Belichick, I worry about the Bills' offense against that defense. I know they lost some significant pieces, but the strength of Bill Belichick hasn't always necessarily been Brady. It's been his ability to morph the game plan on offense and morph the game plan on defense to put you in a position where you're doing left-handed work. And historically, when you force Josh Allen to do things he doesn't like to do, his skill set's not well-rounded enough to be able to deal with that. Could this be the year when that is no longer the case? Absolutely, it could be the case. But until I see it, I'm not willing to take a sweep. Dan says, I believe the Bills will start out hot enough and the Chiefs will have enough of a Super Bowl hangover that the Week 6 matchup will be an even-money pick-em matchup. According to Vegas, the Bills may even have a better record going into that game. The Chiefs start the year hosting the Houston Texans on Thursday Night Football. Then they go to the Chargers, to Baltimore on Monday night. They host the Patriots, they host the Raiders, and then they travel to Buffalo. So, I mean, you've got got it's not an easy course to that Week 6 game. A lot of big primetime games. Obviously, Baltimore and New England should be really physical contests for them. What do you think here? Is this going to be an, an even pick game and the Bills having a better record? I don't think that the Super Bowl champ will have the ability to lose enough steam in six weeks unless they go like one and five and to, to, to have this happen to them. I think that when you have the Super Bowl champ and you have Patrick Mahomes, I think that from a betting standpoint – 
the, the slope is a lot shallower. Even if you lose the first one, I don't think it precipitously drops off. You lose the second one, I don't think it precipitously drops off because a lot of, a lot of betting lines are based on home and away and quarterback play. Yep. And that rhymes for a reason. It's because of a nice little you know, thing that I made up in my head. But as long as Patrick Mahomes is healthy, that's the biggest thing that keeps the Chiefs ahead on the betting scorecards. If Patrick Mahomes were to get hurt, I think that you could see that swing for the Chiefs so dramatically. If he shows up on the injury report on a Friday and it's not looking great, and you see the point swing that happens in Vegas because of that, that will show you how impactful just having Patrick Mahomes is when it comes to betting confidence. So the Chiefs would have to go, I think, one and five, two and four in order for that to be the case. And I don't think that's going to happen because it's always going to be a who do you trust more in primetime, Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. And until Josh Allen physically takes that from Patrick Mahomes, I think it's always going to be a, a scenario where the Chiefs would have to have a, a markedly worse record. The um, the Chiefs are without Frank Clark and Bouchard uh, Breland the first four weeks of the season, which does help. The worst I can see the Chiefs going into that game is three and two, uh, with potential losses to Houston, which would be really surprising to me opening the season, Baltimore, and maybe New England. But it's uh, yeah, that'd be tough. Uh, I'm with you on this one. J Hub says the Bills will get a home playoff win, and Allen will post good but not great top line numbers, leading to fringe. Pro Bowl consideration, think Tyrod Taylor's 2015 season, but with far more team success. But despite what would be considered yet another step forward, if there are any other quarterbacks, he will not change a single mind amongst the analytic folks. They will cherry pick statistics for why Allen really sucks if you look under the hood, but absent an MVP season, that crowd will never admit defeat on Allen. They simply have too much invested in years of takes as to why he will never amount to anything. I really like this take a lot. I think the Bills getting a home playoff win is very reasonable if you assume that there's a chance they win the division. Allen posting good, not great, top-line numbers leading to a fringe Pro Bowl consideration. Okay, I can see that. Think Taylor's 2015 season, but with far more team success. Again, makes sense. But despite what be considered yet another step forward if there were any other quarterback, he will not change a single mind amongst the analytics post. I have made the comment earlier in this podcast that I think the battle lines have been drawn. I really do. And that's a shame that we're even talking about the idea of there being battle lines when it comes to a, a player and whether or not you can accept that they are developing. And I, I agree with you. I think that there is a, a narrative issue out there. When analytics becomes not about the analytics and becomes about the narrative, then what's the point at that point? If you're not going to do what the numbers tell you, if the numbers show growth and you're going to ignore them because this and this and this and this and this, then at that point, it's not really analytics. Analytics is supposed to be impartial. It's supposed to judge everybody equally. And that's the point. The point is to be, it's the anti-narrative, right? But the problem is when, you're, when you come into the discussion from whatever mindset you have and you come into it from such an incredibly polarizing narrative and the conversation and the words you use and the vernacular is so inflammatory that you can't really back down on that. Like you, you've kind of planted your flag at that point. And the inflammatory nature of the Josh Allen conversation has not really lended itself overly well toward nuance. And if you approached it previously with nuance, then you have not have kind of left the door open for you to say, yeah, he's getting better. But if you approached it from this crazily inflammatory nonsense of parody of an NFL quarterback and things like that, then you haven't really given yourself any room to really back off that take aside from taking the L. And taking the L isn't really what they do. So I, I'm, I'm in on the take. I, I, think it's, I think it's a very reasonable take. With you all the way. Charlie, my guy, I love you. He says, Corey Borges will make the Pro Bowl this year. I don't Absolutely. think there's a chance. I don't Let's think do it. There's no, <laughs> no, there's no way. No way. This guy, look, I give him credit. He beat out both of the competitors for his job in Kari Vedvik and uh, Lake Edwards. But Pro Bowl? Come on now. That, I mean, he'd really have to reinvent himself in one year. I mean, Pro Bowl, top two punter in the league. That's what Pro Bowl. One for the AFC, one for the NFC. That's it. That's all you got. So top two punter in the league. There's analytics puntalytics, if you will, that have shown Corey Bohorkas being one of the worst punters in football last year. So that swing, I think, here's a hot take. I got a hot take in exchange for Har Charlie's hot take. 
Corey Bohorkas making the Pro Bowl is less likely than Josh Allen being an MVP candidate. I agree. I absolutely agree with that. That's my take. I like it. I have a take for you. I snuck one in here. I said, the Bills will get 50 sacks in 2020. They had 44 last year. Bruce, am I crazy? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're not crazy. Ed Oliver's development, being a more full-time player, having Jerry Hughes be healthy, the addition of Mario Addison, all of these things are net positives for pressures and sacks this year. So asking the Bills to get six more in 16 games with those qualitative changes I just mentioned, I think it's perfectly reasonable. Kyle has a very well thought out take for me or for us. So st- stick with it here. He says the 2020 Buffalo Bills will tie or break the franchise record for 30 plus points games in a season and score more than 420 total points. By my research, the Bills franchise record for 30 point games in a single regular season is nine in 1991 and 1975. All off season, the message from McBean has been finding guys that can make plays and score more touchdowns. With the additions and upgrades on offense and a continued progression from Josh Allen, this team has the potential to do just that. What we are all hoping for with Diggs is the creation of the big play and not having to go 10 plays in 80 yards for every single scoring drive. For comparison, the 2019 New England Patriots scored 420 points, which was seventh in the league last year. They had seven games of 30-plus points and three more with at least 24. Their offense wasn't exactly a juggernaut, but they did get a number of defensive and special teams touchdowns. To jump from 314 points where the Bills were last year to 420-plus this year, they would have to have an average of an extra seven points a game. This will take great complementary football to achieve with what we hope is an improved offense and kicking game. The defense, as good as it has been in recent years, has room to improve in sacks and turnovers. If they are able to do that, it will be a big factor for the offensive improvements, creating shorter fields and even getting into the end zone themselves. Thanks for what both of you guys do. And always, always go Bills. That was an emotional roller coaster for me. Reading through that take. First off, Kyle, thank you so much for the, for the uh, incredibly well thought out take. The, when I first started reading it, I said, no way. Absolutely not. I, I, can't, I can't see them breaking the franchise record for 30-plus points games and scoring more than 420 points. And then the second paragraph, he said, for comparison, the 2019 Patriots scored 420 points, which is seventh in the league. And I'm like, okay, seventh in the league. The 90 Patriots weren't known for their explosive offense, but they still managed to manufacture some stuff. I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe. And then I got to the third paragraph. They would have to average an extra seven points a game. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm out again. So I was out, and then I was in. And then I was out again. But all that was because Kyle was willing to put the effort into the research. So I appreciate that from Kyle. I think just splitting the difference, getting another three and a half points a game and finishing maybe 12th or 13th in the league in scoring offense, I think would be reasonable enough to be able to have this be a good team next year. I, I think that if you really look at it, you're really banking a lot on Josh Allen with takes like this because the only material differences, Greg Thompson, shout out there, for the 2020 Bills relative to the 2019 Bills is the addition of Stephon Diggs and then an addition to the running back room that's not going to be the bell cow necessarily, but Zach Moss. That's really about it. Every other extrapolation for the 2020 Bills offense is about growth from existing players. Dawson Knox, Cody Ford, Josh Allen. This idea that Deion Dawkins will continue to progress. Everything else based on that is not about additions. It's about development within the existing parts. And that's okay, but I don't know if that by itself with just Stephon Diggs. Now, Stephon Diggs is a great addition. I don't mean to say that we did not get a number one wide receiver. I've talked about in the past what a significant change it made to Donovan McNabb when he got Terrell Owens in his prime. And that type of jump could be possible for Josh Allen by getting Stephon Diggs in his prime. However, when you're banking so much on internal development, not every one of those players is going to jump forward the way we want them to. That's just the way of player development. Not every single one of them is going to take a big step. We thought that Levi Wallace would take the next step going from 18 to 19. Wow, look how well he graded. Look how well he performed the back half of 2018. He didn't really take a step forward in 2019. Player development is not linear. And so when you 
when you bank on that for a big part of this jump, I think that's when you start to introduce variability into the equation. So I think just getting another three and a half points a game for the offense, I think would be better for me. Seven points a game, every single game on average, that's, that's a lot to ask, even from an offense that added Stephon Diggs because they only really added Stephon Diggs. I have the Bills at 24 points per game this year. That's going to be 384 points. So uh, it's a jump, but uh, I did a rant uh, on one of my podcasts recently about the playoff teams from last year, and the Bills were by far the worst scoring offense in the playoffs. The second worst scoring offense in the playoffs last year was the Green Bay Packers, who averaged right at 24 points per game. I think they can get to 24 points per game, but I, 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 I think the course is more reasonable than I thought right after the first paragraph. I just I don't know if I'm ready to go all in on that type of growth. Last one comes from Nate the Cheeseburger Walrus. He says, Tyler Bass is the unsung hero of our team. Having a good kicker who Josh Allen and the coaching staff can trust and believe in will make all the difference in the world. Bass will take a good load of pressure off of the man under center and everyone on the sidelines. Having someone who can hit from a greater distance on a consistent basis will stop Josh Allen from making silly throws he doesn't have to and helps us get more points on the board. Bass being on the team in 2020 will be the difference between winning or losing two games, which leads to an AFC East championship and a win in the playoffs. Justin Tucker has won a lot of games for the Ravens over the years. Having a good kicker matters. Having a good kicker that you can trust matters specifically in those end-of-game, end-of-half scenarios where you just have to get close. Think about the Cleveland game last year where Hauschka has a chance. I mean, there was weird, some weird play calling down the stretch there, but Josh Allen took the team down the field, and they had a shot to win that game against Cleveland with a 53-yard field goal, which unfortunately I had to watch back because I was watching some film on some different stuff, and I, I was re-reminded of the pain of missing that field goal. But having a kicker who can connect from those distances matters, and it is the tipping point between one or two games. And so I don't think this is a crazy take. A lot of people who were at the senior bowl said that Tyler Bass was the best kicker there. And everyone kind of thought that Rodrigo Blankenship going in had the accolades coming from Georgia and had the personality and the quirks. And he was kind of a little bit more well-known than this kicker from Georgia Southern. But a lot of people who were at the senior bowl said Tyler Bass is the best kicker here. And then when the Patriots ended up taking Justin Warwasser, and I was like, I don't, I don't know who that is. A lot of people were thinking, gosh, you should have taken Tyler Bass. So I don't think this is crazy. I think there's a very reasonable possibility that Tyler Bass is that type of kicker that you draft in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. He ends up being your kicker for a decade. I think that obviously consistency is key, but he's off to a good start. He hit every single one of the kicks he had to hit after he was named the starting kicker in practice. And, you know, they've been doing a good job. You know, they were talking about, Heath Farwell was talking about taking him in the stadium and trying to replicate things in the stadium and the wind and stuff like that. And they're doing everything they can to make sure that he's prepared. And it is going to be a leap of faith, just like they mentioned it. But I don't think this is a crazy take. I think that Tyler Bass, as a good kicker, the Bills have really bad specialists last year. Really bad specialists. And having good specialists matters. And for a while there, you know, Ryan Lindell and Brian Mormon were one of the two sure things that this Buffalo Bills team had. And if we can add that to a team that's markedly better everywhere else, I think that could be the difference in one or two games. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Bruce Nolan. Bruce, you've been a fabulous guest as usual. I encourage everyone to listen to your podcast. It's the Bruce exclusive. It's on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed. It's every Thursday and Friday. It's a priority of my week. It should be a priority of your week. Glad to get you in here before the season kicks off and uh, look forward to following all your work all season long. Thanks a lot, Joe. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today here on this podcast. Tomorrow, Greg Thompson of the Cover One Buffalo podcast joins me for what I'm billing as an organic discussion regarding the Buffalo Bills, some of the buzzy topics that I just want to get another opinion on here for you guys to hear. Greg's going to come and deliver the goods tomorrow, so don't miss it. Make sure that you are subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. 
Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.